Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to James Brady, the CTO at Teespring, and we discuss opening up and taking more risk as the organization scales, building habit loops to achieve your goals, and the expansion of product development. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. It's James Brady. Hey, Joel. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Amazing. Your audio sounds really good. Thank you. That's the nicest thing anyone said to me. <laughs> I think we all care a lot about audio quality right now with the quarantine, right? We do. We care about audio quality. We care about video quality. And yeah, those, those two things. And then we care about bandwidth, making sure that <laughs> yeah. there's not too many people at home on the internet. That's right. Yeah, strange times. Where are you calling in from? I'm currently in Spain, in uh, northeast Spain. In uh, we we have been living here for a few years, and I'm already remote. I was remote by default beforehand, actually. So, for me, for us, the kind of audio quality bandwidth stuff is is, is has been a pain for maybe two or three years, rather than uh, rather than six months. Now, have you been remote for a long time? Like, have you always been remote? Yeah, not not always. So um, my first company, we were sort of bouncing back and forwards between London and San Francisco. Um, so I guess partially remote. There's a couple of years, 2014, 15, where I was in an office in San Francisco. But apart from that, yeah, over the last 15 years or so, I've been, uh, I've been remote. And you found, I thought this was so interesting, uh, you found like this thing called a micro village in Spain. Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> by a micro village, I don't know if there's a dictionary definition, but the, the place that we live, there's around about 200 people living here. And we know a lot of them, obviously, as you'd expect with a, a, a village that size. And it's, a re- it's just a really nice, close-knit, very friendly community doors are open all the time that kind of that kind of thing so you know before here we were living in london which is 10 million people or whatever and then before that san francisco so it's a big change but one one we were aiming for and and definitely found a kind of different different pace of life let's say here city like it yeah like yeah i love it i mean the thing is we we decided that we wanted to be close to a big city. So we're about an hour away from Barcelona. And um, that was deliberate and, and really important because, you know, we like going to restaurants, we like going to, to, to shows, to cinema, to galleries and, and this kind of thing. And I think it would have been a bit much, it would have been a bit um, oppressive, a bit sort of limiting if we, if we just didn't have any way of doing that stuff. But the thing is we found living here, we can, dip into the city when we want and then the sort of default mode is very relaxed and and uh and relaxing which is you know the right the right way around for us nice yeah i live in like a more rural area and then there's a big city about an hour away so when we want like the big city stuff we go in there and when we want it to be more quiet we just kind of hang out around where we live but it's not it's not like the micro village concept because our producer jake had been out there like last year for vacation and so he pulled up pictures and was showing us all about it. And I thought it was cool because like around 200 people, that's really close to like the Dunbar number, you know? So right. You like really know the people in your village. I think that's Yeah, pretty... our tribe. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so you want to hear a mystery we're trying to figure out here? Oh, right. that sounds interesting. Yeah, and you know the answer too. Because, all right, in your LinkedIn profile, it ends with forward slash good gravy. Now, we were talking about this in the meeting, <laughs> trying to like figure out what this was. So we took bets, right? <laughs> okay. I thought it was like a Slack GIF thing, that it would be like really funny if you do like Giphy on Slack, that it would have like this amazing meme for good gravy, but it couldn't match anything, got no results. Okay. Adam thinks it's because it rhymes with your name, James Brady, good gravy. And then mm. Jake thinks it's because you like biscuits and gravy. So which one mm. is it? Well, None? I don't know if I should tell you. I mean, it's, I it's, it's not racy or anything. I just I like to have something of an air of mystery around me. I didn't even realize it was generating this, this air of mystery. It so, was buzz. Yeah, it was on like, it was, yeah, the, exactly. the homepage of people.com today. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Everyone's talking about good gravy and no one knows why. Um, no, so it's actually, I will tell you, Isla, um, it is partly, I think it was, was it Adam's guess that it rhymes with my name? It's partly that. Yeah. It's also a something of a kind of, not very often heard, but something of a phrase in the north of England, which is where I'm originally from. And it's kind of like, um, good gracious, you'd say good gravy as a, as a sort of, you know, you, you don't believe it, you've taken my breath away kind of, kind of thing. I think it was actually because I was signing up for, for Twitter and the handle that I normally use had already been taken. So I just kind of chose the first thing and, and kind of it, it snowballed from there. So not quite as exciting as, as, as your guess, I'm afraid. Um, but uh, yeah, that's where, that's where it comes from. It's a kind of an English, English turn of phrase. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so it's your Twitter handle too? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Although I will say that I never post or look at Twitter. So, But what about when you're at conferences? Do you do it then? Like if you're at a conference, do you Twitter? Because yeah. they want you to. They post the they, signs everywhere. <laughs> I know, I know. No, I, so I actually did it the most. I was at a reInvent towards the end of last year. And yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't tweet. So, so no, I know I'm not, I feel, I feel kind of the reason I'm all kind of umming and ahhing and, and, and huffing and puffing is that I do think that I probably sh should, uh, given my role and like trying to build a profile and all that kind of stuff. I just, I'm really conflicted about, um, like other aspects of social media, which, which I can, I can get into, but, but maybe isn't sort of CTO focused. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand. Like what I do is I have like a team. Right. Mm. And because I try to stay off social media as much as possible and try to connect right. with like myself and get, I, I found out that I happen to need, like as an individual, my needs for like quiet, alone, decompressing time are pretty high. Like I like to spend a lot of time alone. If I don't get my alone time, I feel awkward and burnt out. So, yeah. you know, that affects everything from like your relationship with your spouse. So like, like, it's just something that you have to be aware of. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Did did that did that realization line up with you moving to your current more rural setting? No, I was actually born in this place where I live right now. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I think for for me it 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 definitely did. I don't know if it's if it's correlation or cause, but definitely that kind of different pace of life thing that I mentioned is is more than just I don't know, like the, 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 how much traffic there is on the street or something. It really kind of feeds into a slightly different take on, on, on what one's life is about. Um, and I, 
you know, the, A, there just isn't that much point in doing loads of tweeting in a, in a tiny village where no one speaks English, uh, but B, just kind of enjoying the kind, the kind of things you were talking about and, you know, a bit of self-reflection and going for a walk with the dog and a, and, a, and a bike ride has sort of filled the space that maybe Twitter used to take up for me a little bit. Yeah, I definitely had to figure out how to like self-regulate in the sense that yeah, I can make myself as busy as I want to be, even though I live in a rural area, right? Mm. And so I guess the, the theme for me for like the past five years is figuring out what is true over longer iterations of time, right? Because you get like a shorter iteration of time and you can like get real excited, want to go, go, go. But then you notice that as you go through these cycles, as you cycle through years, that these, you just learn how to live a little bit better, right? Do you think, do you think there's any value in those, those, like those high frequency cycles? Like has one, has one of them turned out to be actually, this has unlocked some new passion for me, for example. Yeah. So I, I think that humans are pretty good with like intense activity and then rest. That, that tends to be the, the thing. Like I've, I've put my schedule to where it's fixed. Like it's exactly the same thing every day. And really? then, yeah. And then I've, and then I've changed it to be, because I found that like monotonous, like pretty quickly and boring, and I just didn't like it. So what I found, what I do right now is I do like six week sprints with myself. So like, <laughs> and then I'll take three or four weeks off and I'll do six weeks and then three or four weeks and then six weeks. And so like, I'll go to the gym every single day for six weeks. And then like in the non six weeks, like when I'm off, I'll go like four times a week instead of seven days a week. Right. So I, I go back and forth between, between difficult and extremely difficult. <laughs> okay. Okay. I see. I should try that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I never go to the gym, so I feel like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm letting the side down here, but uh, that's interesting. So it's, it seems like maybe, so it, do you find yourself doing the same stuff within that six week sprint and then the time off and just switching between the two different modes is enough variety to kind of keep your brain interested? Yes. Yeah, switching between the intensity is mm. enough variety to keep me interested in the long term. On the right. short term, they are different. So every single one of those days I'm at the gym is a different workout. It's not the same okay. workout. So seven days, seven different workouts. Um, so there's, I'll, you know, by the eighth day, I'm doing that first workout again. I was like, oh, I haven't done this exercise in eight days, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so there's variety there, and then I also like I I'm always testing new new ideas and new concepts. Like some days I play this game where I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna focus on what's the one thing I can do today to like win today, right? Mm. Right. And so then I put all my focus around that, and you know, I just I have to keep it interesting with myself, like playing the yeah. game of life. <laughs> yeah, there was a uh, there was a time it was in twenty fifteen when Keith Raboy, who you may have, he's a uh, investor and um, he was COO, I believe, at Square before that. Anyway, he was uh, he was an investor in Teespring, where I where I currently work. He came in to give a, a bit of a kind of management advice, I suppose you could call it. And one thing that really stuck with me there was he was talking about as a team scales, you, you should be able to take more risks because you're, you're placing more bets. 
what he warned against was that if you have a kind of stack rank of things from, from really easy sort of one-liner things right at the bottom, there's a middle band which are challenging, but you kind of know how to do them. And then the stuff at the top, which is terrifying and, and you probably fail, but if it works, it would be transformative. It's very easy to fall into that middle band. You, you think I'm making progress, I'm doing hard things, I'm not doing all the gimmies. But if you, if you scale that up over a team of, of 10, 20, 50, 100, 500 people, no one is doing the big swing stuff. And what you actually should be doing is, is having like 200 people there just doing insanely difficult things that will probably never work because the, the 10 folks that will actually succeed, the, the, you know, the tide will raise all the ships and it will work out better for everyone in the end. Uh, which, and the reason I mentioned that, that really sounds a lot like what you, uh, you know, the kind of one thing today sort of deal. It's, it's really easy to look at your to-do list and like check off six things, including the one which is like, make sure my calendar's up to date. <laughs> you know, you get as much of a dopamine rush from taking that one off as you would from like the really big kind of write up this kind of architectural roadmap or something. Whereas what we probably should do as, as leaders especially is, you know, take, take those big swings and um, tackle that stuff head on because it's kind of on us to, 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 to do that. You know, it's, it's really tough for someone with a bit less agency to, to take that, to take that freedom, take that independence. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like we have to be more vocal about the fact that they're allowed to fail because right. especially as it gets like a bigger group, because people, they don't, they don't want to. So it's not enough to just say you want to and like put it in your corporate values. You have to like, constantly encourage it and uh and promote it so how did you get involved with teespring yeah so i've been with teespring since 2015 beginning of 2015 and um what had happened before that was i was uh, i was running a startup with a friend of mine um, for a number of years for five or six years and we both felt that our, our our learning had not flattened off completely but I would never claim that, especially in a startup, but we weren't really sort of as quite as challenged as we, as we had been before. We were looking to join a larger company, uh, learn from some, some, some people that had done more things. It was basically our, our first job. So we uh, moved the whole team, uh, the, the startup team to join Square at, at that point. And what we found there was for me personally, anyway, it was, it was a much larger organization. It was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And, you know, we had some agency in that we were running our own kind of area of, of the company, building our own product with our own processes and own code base and all the rest of it uh, and our own team. But what I learned there, what I learned at Square was that I learn best through trial and error. And a key part of trial and error is that you need a fast feedback loop. You need to be able to try something and then the, the quicker you can learn from that, the more that you learn in, in total over, over time. And that was really tough at Square just because it, you know, it's a financial company, so you have to be quite careful and it's got very kind of rigid design guidelines and uh, just a, a larger organization. So the reason I joined Teespring to actually answer your question was they seemed to be in a sort of, um, a sort of Goldilocks point where it was smaller than than the startup i'd built uh, but it was a, a lot sorry it was larger than the startup i'd built but it was obviously a lot smaller than than square and it seemed like somewhere where i could operate at a higher level than just kind of individual line management 
but also really try something out, throw the wheel this way or that way and, 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 and see if it works, see what happens rather than six months later at Square, like maybe it would work or maybe it wouldn't, but there's so many other different confounding factors. It was quite hard to learn from that. Um, so that's, yeah, that's why I initially joined them in 2015. And um, have, that was in San Francisco and over the years have changed locations a couple of times to London and then, and then here to Spain. And uh, yeah, sort of uh, risen through the, the engineering team and, and currently the, the VP of technology there. So are they doing things like you mentioned, like are there teams that are focused on just making big swings there at Teespring? There are. I think we could formalize that better. And it's something, <clears throat> something we've been talking about recently. We, so I came, I came across, um, there was a really useful model for this I came across recently that I'm, I'm thinking about rolling out, which is, is mentioned in, in Sense and Respond, the book Sense and Respond, which is, which is really excellent. And it talk, I think it's maybe a model from McKinsey. They talk about three horizons, horizon one, two, and three, where I can try and get this, <laughs> we should round it. I think horizon one is the kind of money-making day-to-day core business stuff that you're trying to tweak and optimize horizon two is we've like validated the user need but there's still some more investigation to be done we're still like finding product market fit basically and horizon three i think we've got this the right way around the one two and the three is we have no idea (laughs) you know this this we don't know if there's any going to be any users we have no idea how much they would pay um it really is you know embers in a fire so yeah we we definitely have a number of teams that are working on the bread and butter the core stuff i'd say looking at the the teams we've got some horizon two and we've we've got one team who just recently launched digital products on on our platform so uh, really kind of taking a bold move away from our traditional business model and 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 very much into this kind of yeah, this kind of virtual digital marketplace kind of kind of idea. Uh, I would say that is 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 one of these kind of bold bets where we 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 had some kind of indication that there was a, a market there. There was some people kind of working around, like hacking our system and other systems to make this work, which is always really really interesting when you see that from users, right? Uh, so we decided to, to to formalize it and make it into a team. And um, yeah, they just launched. I think it was uh, publicly launched a week or two ago. Oh, that's pretty cool. So it's, you could sell digital goods now? Yeah. So, you know, initially we are thinking about, and our, and our creators are, are working with things like, um, like filters you can download. If you're following someone on Instagram, you can download the filters that they use. There, there's people that there's people that have been selling eBooks, like uh, coloring books for their kids to keep them occupied during the quarantine. Um, there are people selling sewing patterns, knitting patterns, that kind of thing. But uh, you know, if you look at the the full scope of what that could be, it's uh, you know we're really just kind of nibbling around the edge here. It's uh, there's a lot of scope <laughs> that we're kind of rapidly going after that I, I can't go into in, in in full detail. But yeah, we've we've got kind of big goals for that that area. So I was actually on Teespring's website when I got the Slack message that you were coming on the show. I was like, right? no way. I was like, this is so <laughs> exciting because we decided to, um, like we, we just recently built out the studio, like made it official versus me just being at like the office uh, computer. I say, you've got a really nice background. Thank you. That's a fake wall. 
It's foam. <laughs> you don't tell me this. Come I on. know, I know. I'm not supposed to do that. They're like, don't do it, don't do it. I'm like, it's a fake wall. It looks, it's so good though. Shout out to Jake for that. Like, so it's a, it's a, it's a foam board. He built this like custom wood base, but then there's uh like this wood wallpaper stuff added to the foam oh, board. Really? Yeah. So if you if you if you kind of lent violently in the wrong direction, it would just kind of crumple into a into a heap. No, no it's actually very sturdy. <laughs> very sturdy. Yeah. Oh, dirty yeah. foam. Okay. Yeah. Jake's a good contractor type person. So yeah, he made he made it really good. And then my wife painted the wall. This is this is mm-hmm. called space black. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Make, makes the logo pop. But what we were doing where we were going to like get like hats and mugs and t-shirts and yeah. the most important thing to me, here's the most frustrating thing on the planet. So I like go on Amazon and try to buy like a, see a cool shirt and it comes and then the shirt's like, it's got the logo on it, but it's like a crappy shirt. It's like not a good shirt. Right. And so I like don't want to wear it. Or it doesn't fit right or whatever. Yeah. So I wanted like really high quality. So I started Googling around for like what t-shirt companies have like the highest quality base, the base I can just put something on. And I came across your site and the UI was just so beautiful and you guys had good reviews. And so I said, okay, let's order some stuff. Like let's make sure this, it's hard because not every provider out there, it's it's weird because providers will specialize in one thing and do it very, very well. Right. Mm. But then we need five things, right? And so we're going to have to like go piecemeal together right. different providers because we want like mugs, hats, like all this different stuff. But uh, we were def- we came to the conclusion that there's not going to be one provider that gives us everything. But we're right now we're designing a, a shirt to be ordered through Teespring. So we're really excited about that. Okay. Well, I we should talk. I, I'm not sure what other kinds of products you'd be interested in, but there's there's some which are, you know, reserved for maybe sort of more established users on the platform uh, that you can design and sell through us. And yeah, if they if they match your if they match what you're looking for, I'd be happy to open that up for you. But I think what you um you mentioned a really interesting point there of, well, I, I thought you were going this direction of needing to kind of piece together lots of different things to to bring it all together to kind of actually deliver the thing that you want in the end that's something that we 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 care a lot about and we think it, it's something which is really uh, going to be it, it is and will be even more so our kind of key di- differentiate, differentiating factor from us versus other other competitors in in in, in the space in that we aim to have a turnkey top to bottom experience which fuses the designing process at the beginning the e-commerce experience that buyers are interacting with plus all the fulfillment supply chain as well and we're really we take that very very seriously and you know if you order something especially in the u.s that is more than likely going to be coming from an actual warehouse which which we own with our staff who are doing the qc um, oh, wow. and and we kind of own that whole process from from start to finish and that means a few things firstly it means that in terms of the user experience just the pieces are more joined joined up uh, they're, they're more joined together you can cobble together stuff uh, to, to create a sort of a SATS version of this user experience. But because we own it all from beginning to end, that just kind of happens naturally more, more or less. And the second thing is, is to do with quality. And, and it is 
we don't have competing incentives here because because everything is joined together it's not that the person who's 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 making the the mug or the hat or, or embroidering the bag or printing the sticker or whatever it is that person isn't incentivized to just do something kind of crappy and get out get it out the door because in the end they are you know through a few steps of, of 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 separation they're getting paid by the users sales activities and the users becoming repeat customers and, and all that kind of stuff so in the end we want for you as a as a creator to have the best possible experience and for your fans as well which means that in the end our quality is, is only going to improve rather than this being this kind of slight dissonance impedance mismatch misaligned incentives kind of thing if the e-commerce experience is not run by the same folks who are actually making and, and, and delivering the thing in the end uh, yeah can i tell you what our like perfect world scenario is that would be really useful. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I'm, the, I'm writing this down. <laughs> the idea came up because I had this company called X team on the podcast and they're like an engineering company. And they had this, the guy was wearing, the CEO was wearing this like really cool shirt. It was like this face of like a tiger or something. And, but it was custom done with art. And, and so I said, that's so cool. He's like, I, I can send you one. He's like, they're private. It's internal only for our team, but I can send you one. I said, okay. After the call, he sent me a link. And I clicked mm -hmm. on the link and it was just like, here's your gift, you know, here's the shirt, select your size and then enter your address and it'll, and then I got the shipping thing. So he gave me something, but like I got to configure it a little bit. Mm, okay. Configure like size and just and size, and, just size. Okay. It was just strictly size. It was just right. like small, medium, large, extra large. Yeah. So I go, okay. So I got to pick my size, but the reason is because we wanted to do these like boxes like swag boxes for guests right but we don't want to limit it to just things that are indifferent to size like a mug or a wristband or a sticker we wanted yeah. to have like you know a, they could pick like like a tumbler in there or a mug and like then yeah. they could pick the size of their shirt like maybe two or three things that aren't size related and then they could pick the size of their shirt and then they get right. this little branded swag box it goes to whatever address they choose we're not sending emails back and forth going through their pr people you know hey yeah. can you give me kevin's address you know all this stuff and where does he want it sent and it's just after the show i just give them a link and it's their custom swag box they figure it enter in their information then it shows up where they want it to with their tracking interesting numbers. that's a really good idea i don't i don't think we'd considered that one um i haven't found but, anyone that does it like the way yeah like that Okay, I'm going to take that and claim it as my own. Nobody's listening to this, right? I can just Nobody. say it's my idea. Zero. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, so another thing that I noticed too that that like bonded me instantly with you was this concept of atomic habits. So hmm. one day in my life, I'm going through it. Somebody sends like a YouTube video to me of I think uh, his name is James Clear, right? Hmm. Of, of James giving a talk, and he gives this like. I was just enthralled by it. I, I couldn't stop watching it. And so I buy the book and I buy the action tracker and my habit trackers and all of that. I've just, it, yeah. I would say the desire was there for me. Like, because I say, I try, try new things all the time, but that, that framework, that mental right. model of how habits work and how they create your future was given clearly, articulated clearly by this guy, James. And so I, I just fell in love with it. How has it changed your life? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think it's the same, you know, I've, I've read my fair share of, um, of self-help type books in the past. My issue with most of them is I, they tend to be quite prescriptive in terms of follow these 
these these five steps that life coaches hate and and you'll be a billionaire in a year you know it's 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 such a kind of one size fits all kind of kind of thing and I, but i agree that is much more of a kind of general framework and here is by the way cited links for the sort of research for why this is how your brain works yeah no i the thing which uh <laughs> this it's it's a small thing actually but the thing which which really kind of proves me that it works i used to bite my nails i mean it's such a small thing but i bought i bit my nails for like 35 years which is a long time to to do something like on a daily or weekly basis right and i was always embarrassed by by it i i didn't like the way my I didn't, you know, it looks weird. It, it looks horrible. And, and uh, people kind of catch me doing it. And I feel a bit embarrassed. And anyway, the, um, the put a bit of a plan in place for, for what to do instead of biting nails, like the, the whole kind of cue craving response reward loop that he talks about and kind of slotted a few pieces into place. And within, I think, it wasn't long within a, within a month it was done and, 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 and finished with and easy. And I don't know, it, it is the kind of thing where because I really wanted to stop doing it beforehand, it became a bit of a sort of self fulfilling thing. Just don't want to get back into that, into that place. But yeah, that was, the, that was the kind of an easy version, <laughs> I suppose. One, th- one thing which we're trying to do at Teespring and which I'm it's actually one of these experiments I was talking about of kind of experimenting on yourself is could the same principles apply to a group, to a, to a team, to a department, to a company even. And um, what we're doing is we are saying that for every single pull request which goes into this into this repo as our oldest repo it has the most problems with with tech net with tech debt because you know it's been around for 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 ages every single time you make a change you have to do even the tiniest little bit of tech debt cleanup it can be fixing an an apostrophe in a comment. It could be even sort of writing down in a in a in a Jira project. I found some tech debt over here in 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 the repo. That's good enough. It's just more than zero. It's just kind of lodging in people's minds that there is this thing that I need to do. So we've got a prompt for that. Uh, I've got I personally sort of congratulate people, thank people, and send out statistics for us to kind of build up the the, the habit loop of people doing it and kind of nudge people when they're, when they're not doing it. And again, we all suffer from 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 tech. It kind of bites us all from from time to time. So there's the underlying desire to fix it, which which really helps. We're not kind of forcing it through. People kind of want to do it. It's just a question of how do we structure the thought process and and, and the culture and the, the habits so that we have a have a way of kind of chipping away at it. Yeah, I love that. Whenever I notice my discipline slacking, I just go to like do the smallest thing. Like if I don't want to yes. work out that day, it's like, okay, but I have to go sit in the gym parking lot for 15 minutes. <laughs> I just have to yeah. drive my car to the gym parking lot and sit there. And then once I'm there, I'm like, ah, I'm already here. Let's just go right. in, right? Totally. But that yeah. little like that little lie to get that fire started is is so useful. Yeah, and not skipping not skipping a day is one of the key things, or not skipping two in a row, right, is a kind of key thing that um, that he touches on. Yeah, that's interesting. I think he gives an example of someone that even went to the gym for 15 minutes every single day and refused to work out for a while, for like a month or something, to the point where at the end of the month, he was just so, so frustrated. Like, I'm coming all this way. I'm changing into my gear. I'm just kind of sitting here like a, like an idiot, I might as well do some exercise and, and kind of 
you know that's how he got the got the ball roll the ball rolling as you as you said yeah no it worked for me i was close to 300 pounds like i was really overweight really yeah yeah and uh when i was younger i got hit by a car and then i was in a wheelchair for like a year and then like halfway through my rehab i fell like and then rebroke my right leg and so that extended like the wheelchairness oh for another God. six eight months and then i just got really depressed because i was active and everything before that and i couldn't yeah. play sports and i could i had to ride the short bus to school because that was like the one that had the wheelchair thing on it and it, <laughs> like i just got depressed and i didn't want to leave my room and then i just had like a couple couple dark years and mm. uh then i came out of it like in high school and i was just like I want to participate in life. I want to have girlfriends. I want to like, ex you know, play sports. I want to, you know, get back into, into life. And then I, you know, lost the weight over a couple of years. Wow. That's quite a story. Yeah. Difficult yeah. things, man. There's always, I find whenever there's great people, there's amazing adversity in their past. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, you must, I mean, it must be interesting seeing the patterns and the, and the differences as well, doing, doing this podcast, right? Like I'm, I'm sure there are some times where you're like, oh yeah, this, this one again, uh, you know, that, that kind of <laughs> that pattern, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've not heard a story like that before. That's, that's, that's pretty extreme. Yeah. I mean, there's, and just to be real, like there are definitely times when, um, you know, we're like over, I think we've recorded over three or 400 episodes we've released like over 200 of them mm. and so what happens will it'll be like all right this is becoming routine like when i right. when, we, when we pitch topics for the show we're like all right what topics are we going to talk about or what, what areas you know who is the guest what where are their interests and then what areas do we want to talk about and so we've just developed like production meetings and ways to make it interesting and so now i specifically sit down and figure out like what am i going to be interested to talk about over the next right. couple months and then who's like an expert there like we had this cool guy on um rafael duran so he was the creator of a documentary called the cyborgs among us which is on amazon prime and it's okay. all of these people all over the world that are like injecting electronics into their bodies and turning themselves into cyborgs it's pretty wow. cool yeah i've not heard that one yeah, it's pretty neat. Yet. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, and he's in Barcelona too. Uh, oh, Rafael. really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Huh. Okay. He's a really cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, I'll I'll try and reach out to him. I mean, I'm always looking for to to build my network, especially especially here. Yeah. Especially with cyborgs. That sounds yeah. It, <laughs> it really is because there's like the medical world that's pushing it forward. So he covers that a little bit, and then he covers the underground world where like when the people mm. need to inject themselves and stuff, they go to like tattoo parlors who do it like under the table type deal. It was, it was all very fascinating. But before I forget, when we were talking about like media production and, and all of that with social media, so this might be useful for you. So I try not to be on social media like addicted to it because I did that for years and it just yielded negative results, right? Mm -hmm. All that time. Um, and so the way I've scheduled it is we have like a team of people that'll, that'll post, but we have, we like, decide the content ahead of time so we will decide the content in the meeting so there's still my thoughts my okay. ideas like all of these like you know as a team we come up with it the best content and everything to post but then yeah. the actual labor act of posting it is not done by me so i'm not sitting there waiting for videos to upload and then getting <laughs> distracted and commenting and then what i do as a to keep like for me is i just will schedule like an hour one day yeah. a week and I'll go in and I'll check all my notifications. I'll respond to the messages. I like people send me messages from the show all the time. 
Right. And I love it. Right. Just yeah. makes my day. But so I use a team to help me, but I'm still getting my thoughts out there. And so that's something you could probably copy with like a social media team member or you could have them like yeah. set up a schedule for you, put thoughts out there if you're if you're interested in that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I, I de- as I said, I definitely see the value in it. It's 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 the it's the cost value trade-off that seems a little bit murky to me. But um, yeah, being able to kind of manage the, the the costs in the way that you said sounds really interesting. I think um, a bunch of kind of more even more celebrities than than you, Joel, uh, are kind of you know right only in terms of um, Twitter. You know, they'll they'll send a tweet out and there's and, and that's it. They just don't don't really ever look at comments because they're crazy. Um, they're, yeah, I'm sure they are for some for some people. And once you get to a certain level, there must just be so much that you you couldn't process it anyway. You know, it's sort of it's always going to be lossy at, at that point. But anyway, yeah, that's definitely not a problem for me and my 34 followers or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking for excuses at this point, I think. No, we don't have a huge following online either. So like, I mean, people, when they're doing the podcasting, they're running, they're at the gym, they're working, yeah. they're in the car, they're on the train, you know? And so I don't follow like my favorite radio station on, you know, LinkedIn. <laughs> right (laughs) yeah that would be odd you can put it that way yeah so it's it's always fun but you know we we try we we do the the best we can and and it's it's all like this learning process of what we like what we don't like what works and then ultimately you know we have to see how it fits into the business model Mm -hmm. like our model is bringing value to the listeners like that's our that's our model and so we have to look at everything through the lens of does this add value to the listener's life so do you know, do you, is the way that you use social media there as a, as a feedback mechanism and, you know, if the listeners are saying this was great, you should do more of this kind of thing or, you know, this question was killer or something. Is that what you're looking to get from it? Or is it more, that's, that's a way you can tell people, hey, there's a new episode of the podcast up and, and sort of prompt them to go and download it and enjoy it. Yeah, so it's a couple of things. So the thing that I care about is knowing what people want to hear about. So I send out emails to people. Like I literally pick a hundred new people a week, like hundred new CTOs and just send them a cold email and say, Hey, here's some interviews I have coming up. I need some inspiration on some questions. And then we have a newsletter. So between the newsletter and like polling and then the cold outreach, we have a really good mix of like what people want to hear about. And it's, it's interesting because none of them are connected, but the topics all move together. So <laughs> at different right. times of the year. So we do that. So we look, but then we also um, like the most of the content we post is clips of, you know, insight or advice from our right. listeners. Right. So we put that out there to, like, here's some sound bites, some good things to think about some quality leadership insight. Uh, that's why a lot of people like the newsletter and then follow us on LinkedIn. And then every, we put a bumper at the end of the episode that says, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn and say hello. And, and then I always engage with them and ask them what they want to hear about. And that's actually my job. So that goes into my hour of, of social media week, but then we actually go over everything from whether it's from newsletter responses, from the cold outreach, from, you know, that process I just described 
about the podcast outro and we we write everyone's first name and last initial down and then their questions and we make we blend that into our prep and we don't like it would be weird if every five minutes i was like shout out to so-and-so for the inspiration for that question <laughs> right yeah but we get it yeah well as long yeah as long as you're kind of covering the topic and, and getting insights on it that's the i'm sure people actually want to hear the answers rather than hearing the name in the podcast i hope so anyway yes well actually it's pretty surprising most people don't want their name mentioned and they always have oh, this interesting, yeah, even interesting okay. reason. I know people are pretty shy about that stuff. They're like, well, like there's always like a story, like I don't want my coworkers to know, or <laughs> I'm like, that's so weird, but I get it. Some people just want their privacy and I'm pro privacy. So I get it. I guess if it's a really basic question, like, I, I don't want people to, I don't, I don't want to admit that I don't know how to be a manager given I've been a manager for 10 years or something, you know, but yeah, I mean, all the, all the more important to ask those questions if you're not sure or if you're looking for a different a different perspective. Have you ever dealt with that? Somebody who's been a manager for 10 years and they, they don't know how to ask for help? Oh gosh, don't know how to ask for help. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my, my, I kind of skipped over a slightly boring gray chapter uh, when I was describing my, my professional. I worked, for, I worked for IBM for two years in the UK <clears throat> as a software engineer. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know quite how they decided how to arrive at who was going to be a, going to be a manager there. But um, I don't know. It, it wasn't the it wasn't the people that had an issue. It was the, the whole kind of ossified structure of how the of how the company worked meant that there was a lot of kind of following inherited wisdom about how teams should be run, products should be developed, management should happen in in general. So, and, and, you know, questioning feedback loops, trying new things was, was anathema uh, inside, of, inside of IBM. So I think, I think the organization kind of set those folks up to not value that kind of self-reflection, right? Like they, they somewhat thought they had all the answers because, you know, they had been such, this, such a huge player in the industry for, for so, so, so long that it, it wasn't really looking, at least in the area I was working in, it wasn't looking for like fresh new ideas and sort of maybe we should try something crazy here sort of, um, sort of leaders, which, which probably held some people back. Yeah, well, they, they also had the disadvantage of they existed during the era of command and control was the management style. Right. And yeah. so you have this huge ship that's got a 20-year history of this being the way and like yeah. let's rank people and all this stuff and all these different weird you know 1980s early 2000 management styles where we're trying to get it right as a people right and so then they have all of that culture rolling into this new future where that culture is the opposite of what works and what yeah. we have found to to be really really useful you want this decentralized empowered intelligent culture that can take a scientific literally science scientific method approach to everything from features to business models to yeah. yeah that's right and there was there was definitely people bringing those ideas into ibm at the at the time including in um uh, hersley which is where i was where i was working but it was they were you know they were literally in a different building and, and sort of yeah they, they were doing something quite odd according to everyone else where it was it was just agile you know it was, it was like <laughs> fa fairly established at that place is 2006 seven right so it's not like it was a spring chicken as, a, as an idea and by the way so you mentioned 20 years there the, the the product that i was working on 
that if you were working there for 20 years, they would have done a major release of the product 13 times during that, that length, during, during that, that spell of 20 years, which in terms of you know, what I mentioned before of, of wanting to have a feedback loop in place, of, of, of learning from what you've done, that's tough. You know, that's half of your career and you've done something 13 times. It's, it's really hard to get good uh, in, that, in, that, in that way. And now we ship daily. Exactly. <laughs> Multiple yeah, times a day. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So you have an awesome blog, right? I was, I was a fan. We went over the, the content and everything. And, you know, it's always, it's always interesting. I find that the, the people who have blogs and have content and, and ideas that they've taken the time to articulate and write down in detail, uh, it, it always makes the prep and the conversation like so much smoother. But I was curious to you and your career, because I'm always encouraging people to write. I'm like, if you don't know what to write about, start writing about that. <laughs> right. right? Oh, like, that's a good one. I like that. Yeah. And then uh, I didn't come up with it. I just, you know, heard it somewhere. But and then the other one from Gary Vee, which I like a lot, is uh, document, don't create. So don't, don't feel like you have to go create this huge, beautiful blog post on this idea and be this thought leader. Instead, just like document what's going on and your learning, your current learnings uh, yeah. consistently. But I want to know, like for, directly from you, like has writing helped in your career? I think it definitely has. I don't think it has in some of the direct ways that it no doubt has for other people. So, you know, I, I, I have the, I, I write the blog primarily for me is to remember, I, I find the actual act of writing incredibly valuable of uh, ordering my thoughts. If I'm having a conversation with someone and I can link them to it, it kind of short circuits, maybe a lot of back and forth to continue the conversation, not to shut it, not to shut it down, to be clear. Uh, <laughs> That's a good distinction too. Because yeah. it's funny because my mind actually went to shut it down. Like my um, default, yeah, well, I was like, I, oh, I realized this. how it sounded. I was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, if, if I've, that can kind of help move things along, along a little bit maybe. But, uh, you know, for, for, some, for some people, like Gary Vee, for example, right? Like, he, no doubt, blogging and, and social media has completely opened up a ton of different things for him because he's so prolific and because he's, he's got a wide range of interests and he writes really well also. Um, I, I don't really view it that way, but I, I think there's a definite strong second order effect, which is just I feel more capable as a, as a technology person from having forced myself really to write things down and think carefully about you know, what is right and what's wrong and, and what do I think is important. And yeah, that's kind of helped me make career decisions. It's helped me decide, you know, how I, how I learn best. It's, it's, it's how it, it's helped me kind of focus on particular technologies or mental models or, or whatever it is. I, I think I probably, like the atomic habits thing might be a good example here. I, I might well have stopped at this thing. Oh, I've stopped biting my nail. That's nice. I actually kind of writing down like a couple of, I did a couple of blog posts on atomic habits and like, you know, ways we're using them at work and then a sort of bit of a addition, like a layer on top, which I, which I personally found useful that kind of encouraged me to keep going and, and sort of see some benefits and effects in other areas as well. So, so yeah, I definitely put a lot, a bit, well, <laughs> I put a lot more effort into blogging than I do into social media. I, I feel like you, you, you know, I think for some people really condensing something down into a great pithy tweet 
can take a, a huge amount of effort and work and skill. But, uh, but yeah, I find f- for what I get from blogging, I, I just find it more useful. It, it's not about reducing in, in something into 140 or 280 characters. It's about like fleshing out a, a thought and then maybe condensing it down, down, down a bit. But yeah, no, I, I, I definitely rank, recommend it for, for anyone, you know, whether you're a manager or, or sort of on the technology track or senior or junior or, or whatever, if nothing else, coming back to it in the future and realizing that you had already thought about something or wait, I've read that book, but I can't remember what, I, what, what the takeaways were. Um, that sort of lazy, lazy memory things sort of outsourced memory thing is, um, is not to be sniffed at either. It's it's also about like back to your comment on posting on social media and putting effort into the thought that you're going to push out into the world. Mm-hmm. It's also like audience. So when I'm writing my investor updates, I know there's a bunch of people that have money invested in me that are going to read every line of that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be articulate. It's going to design to give them the information they want up front, but then also drill down deeper. You know it. It's just like the care and the craft of writing that update every month. I try to keep it one full page and update them on everything on the business. And I do that every month and I approach it like I write a first draft, then I do like a second draft edit. And then I've gotten a lot better at writing after like doing the book and everything. But mm-hmm. uh, so I've just condensed that process of, of, of multiple drafts down a little bit. Right. But then I send it to a third person to, to, to read and then make any final edits or, or grammar things, and then and then I send it out. But hmm. that that process is a very different process than when like we're drafting a LinkedIn post, <laughs> right? Yeah, but it's interesting that it, it sounds like the process you go through is very much like writing a book, right? Like you kind of you have these ideas flying around in your head. You do a couple of drafts. You use an editor, potentially a copy editor as well. Um, it's, it's that process, but kind of miniaturized and happening every single month. I don't know. I don't know if, if, um, I'm sure if you are Bill Gates, that is the process you go through for, for writing LinkedIn posts or, or really, really anything probably. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think the act of going through the drafting and then having it to look at it and say, oh, you know, you, you've misspelled this word or this punctuation's wrong or this isn't clear, that in itself is, is super, super useful, right? I, I would assume that now, having done that many, many, many times and the trial and error piece, you need less from the editor and the drafting goes more quickly and, and, and that kind of thing. And you kind of, you lose out on that practice if you just have a thought, blurt it out, post it up, go about your day. You, you don't really go through that kind of mental process of what is it, what is the essence of what I'm trying to say here and, and what's the best way of describing it and can I draw a diagram to to explain it better? And and that that in itself, just getting it down clearly in your mind on on, on the screen on paper is um, what I find most valuable. Yeah, it's like asking good questions, right? You just have to yeah. constantly refine what that question is because it's not it's just, it's, it's just so important, right? Like if you get a good question and you, you spend some time, like I actually have a, a little process or a technique uh, that I use 
for engineering great questions, right? Okay. And so when I'm working on a project and I'm my my favorite great question is what's the one thing that I can do today that'll push my business forward in like a meaningful okay. way. And that what it does is by asking that question, think of it like a you're an engineer, right? Think of it as like some sort of like filter. <laughs> <laughs> or like a scope, right. right? It scopes out all the nonsense that your brain would iterate through and only is going to return. I mean, you know, if, if we wake up one day and we find out that we are just computers and like we're in some sort of like infinite loop or like yeah. <laughs> we go from organic to non-organic back to organic, like I would not be surprised because if anything, I've, I've found that I very much operate like a computer. The, the language and the questions I submit to myself are equal to the responses, right? Like the quality of the questions equals the responses. So yeah, it's so fascinating how we work as people. You think a lot about this type of stuff, don't you? Yeah. Well, yes, I think I was just wondering whether or not that's a kind of common pattern that everyone would agree with the way that you sort of phrased your thought process and the way that you phrased your you know, the kind of mechanism of, of, of your mind, because obviously you and I think that way, I don't know if everyone does and and I think there's plenty of room for people that don't think that way and and want to just kind of have a wild idea and run with it and see what happens. And you know, they're probably not going to be as effective as an accountant. Um <laughs> but maybe they'll be a fantastic artist or, or something like that. My my um one of the reasons I do think about this quite a lot is my my wife's an author and um she runs a an artist an artistic retreat like an, an artist's uh, residency from our house here so we get a lot of people coming through staying with us obviously not not at the moment unfortunately but um but in past years and that's really you know my my kind of my, as you might expect my social network in san francisco was was fairly homogenous and you know, there was a lot of white dudes and a lot of techies. And uh, that, I think, in retrospect, is, is an issue. You know, you be able to see that not everyone thinks in the same way and that there is a kind of huge range of, of neurodiversity and thought patterns. And, and there's a, a great amount of value in those different things is, uh, is really important. And I think it kind, of, it kind of, in a way, it hooks into in a very real way, it hooks into how I think about hiring as, as well, like who we want to bring into the, into the team. It's quite easy to think up exam questions or tests or, or whatever the, your interview process looks like, which you know you're good at and you think is a hard question, but you think you'd be good at doing it. I, I think that's quite a kind of common pattern from what I've, from what I've seen. And that, you know, in a way that, that sort of, reduces the chance of someone that just thinks in a different 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 way but could be a fantastic addition to the team it reduces their chance of 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 um of joining you and if you do that too much for too long then you end up with a monoculture kind of blinkered thinking just because everyone is 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 more similar than they than they're different so obviously kind of diversity in terms of underrepresented groups is, 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 is super important for a host of different reasons. Uh, but in addition to that, just people that have different perspectives and come from different backgrounds and um, would be able to think in a different way, I think are, are also really, really important. And for some of the same reasons, but for some different reasons uh, as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of diversity of thought. I was actually talking to my wife the other night. She went 
and was doing this like engram test. I think that's how you yeah. say it. But so she was sharing her results and, you know, so I was like reading about it and then she was like having me take the exam. Uh, so I'm like, I was learning about the validity of it because it was the first time I heard about it. So like, yeah. what is this? What's its origin? And, and, and then, so I was just going through that and what it opened my mind to is, well, I would say reopen my mind because it's just something that I do from time to time. Like, you know, that awe of like looking into the, the, the sky and seeing like the Milky Way and realizing we're so small and insignificant. But you, you can't do yeah. that every day, right? Like there has to be time between these experiences. So it was, a, it was like one of those beautiful moments where I was like, oh, this is great. This is actually like classifications for different types of like neural patterns, as, as mm. you said. And yeah. so- it was it was just interesting to me because I've always been I've always been really into getting different people's like style of thinking because it's yeah. so boring if somebody thinks like me I don't even need to ask them what their opinion is <laughs> right yeah well I mean doing a podcast must be a great way of doing that right yes <laughs> yeah I had I hadn't heard of uh, this one Enneagram yeah apparently it's pretty popular huh okay. Yeah, so it seems like we, maybe this maybe this fad fad is like kind of changing fashions for the because it used to be that Myers Briggs was the one right like twenty mm-hmm. years ago and then I believe there's that so there's the five what's it called the five five traits personality test as well which I think they use in sociology uh, but this is it's I don't know I, tra- taking a, a range of different tests and seeing if they line up probably seems like a like a helpful thing as well to sort of cross reference. That's exactly what I would do. Just take yeah. all the different tests and then see what happens. But then there's also like, you know, I would, I would say this, so the useful exercise there was figuring out or just reminding myself about the mm. different styles of, of how people think because I, I'm around myself so much and I interact with myself at, at such a large volume that yeah. I just have to remind myself from time to time that not everybody thinks like me or not everyone's as excited as me about different <laughs> yeah. things right yeah no totally i think like one of the ways this 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 comes out is it's i mean it, it is a cliche of, of how you kind of need to explain things multiple times or kind of walk through an explanation multiple times uh, before it really hits home because it's so clear in your mind because you've done the thinking you've written the blog post uh you've done the investor update uh or whatever it might be but um yeah you 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 sort of assume that everyone's in the same frame of mind they've got the same they've done the same amount of thinking in the in the run-up to it so you know even if you have the same personality type or, or 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 pattern of thinking you still need to take into account the frame of someone's mind and what context they're coming from as well when, when explaining stuff or, or trying to explore a topic with them, that kind of, that kind of thing. It's um, yeah. Who was it? That, it was someone at square who, who kind of recommended this approach to me, but, but their guidance, which has really kind of stuck with me as well is rather than walking someone through your thought process, meaning you know you take the hand and you go step by step like well there's this and there's that and there's this and there's that you put those together then it means this if you just put them in front of you and kind of ask them open questions for and get them to explore the space in their own way firstly it means that when they well when slash if they end up in the same place as you did it's just much more of a sort of um 
it's built on a much more solid foundation. It's not some inherited knowledge which they kind of trust, but not really. It's something that they felt came, and it did come from them and, and, and their own reasoning. And secondly, and in many ways more importantly, they kind of end up somewhere different because they've brought a different perspective to the, to the discussion. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, crap yeah no that's actually a really good point i didn't i didn't see that and if you just kind of walk them through the steps that you've taken it stifles that debate or it kind of works around that debate or it it, it um me if you don't get value from the other perspective and from the other the other person's context so yeah again really effective for, for both those reasons yeah it's interesting it's like if your goal is to sell it then the idea of speaking first and walking people through your decision-making process is exactly mm-hmm. what you need to do. But if your decision is to understand if your assumptions are right, then you have to go with like the Simon Sinek, like leader speak last type deal. Right. right? Yeah, that's a, gr- that's a great distinction uh, of what, what you're trying to do. And I think, um, so, you know, in my role, obviously I, I interact with lots of, of different um, vendors who we either already use or that they're trying they're trying to pitch pitches on something and there seems to be seems to have been a, a bit of a shift over the last year or so where they if i'm talking to someone in sales rather than them kind of pitching me and they give their value proposition it's very much like we want to learn i mean they've kind of always said we want to learn about your business but it seems more authentic now and they actually we actually are kind of walking through like this is my main pain point and it's it's not through the lens of what they offer. It's through the lens of what we what we need. Which I mean, it sounds simplistic when I say it that way, but I've had multiple years beforehand of getting on a call, and it's you know it's the it's a template spreadsheet. Uh, sorry, a template presentation. They've just changed my name on the first slide, and they kind of walk through as 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 always as they do with everyone else, and for obvious reasons that doesn't really hit home as much as um, the other one, which. You're kind of building a relationship and building rapport and, and building trust. But also we're kind of, if we get to the end of that and they say, you know what, we're probably just not a good fit for, for this, that, and the other reason that is, uh, you know, I, I would go and recommend that company to everyone who would listen to me because, you know, they've, they've been authentic and, and we've explored something together. And I feel like they would kind of, that's a useful experience for, for anyone, whether you use the product or not. Yes. Yeah. Do companies with their honesty and trust. I mean, it, plus it's like, as a business owner, it's like, that's, I want to operate the business that I, like a business I respect, right? Mm. It's like, I want my people to figure out, you know, are we useful for you? You right. know, what, what do they actually want? When I go into sales calls, like when we're buying technology, <laughs> before mm-hmm. I go into the sales call, because usually it'll be like my team, I'll give you a specific example. It was with uh, like Zoom Info. So we needed uh, outbound, we need like B2B uh, contact information. Right. They had it. We had another system we were using. We were looking for some like three specific features that would allow it to be more efficient and we couldn't find them. So my team came to me, they said, Hey, we want to do this. It's like, we checked the quality of the data. It's there. And I said, they're like, what, what sort of, you know, questions do you have? And so I wrote my, I thought deeply, I went through, I said, okay, if you guys want to do it and it's better, that's great. Here's what we need from a technical perspective. We need these three abilities. And when we got on the call, 
It was like you know, just whatever canned presentation that they were going to give us. But then I, I just stopped it. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to stay here for 45 minutes so you feel better. I've got like other things to do. I've got 20 yeah. minutes. Do you have these three features? But the cool thing was, and, and why I definitely liked them, is they instantly snapped out of that, right? Uh, and, and we're just like, okay, here you go. You know, yes, we can do this. And we, you know, so on and so forth. And we became a customer and, uh, it was, it was, you know, so far as they've been a, a, a great company and everything, but I, the point of that story was a few years ago, I stopped like letting the salesperson do any of the presenting to me without knowing so like if they don't ask me within like the first two minutes of the call, like what are the points and the takeaways and what, mm. what do I need to make this happen and what's going on in my life and how, how did they, it's like, it was like an inefficient process we all kind of fell into of like, let me show you what I've built and right. figure out how to map it back. To, and now it's just like, we know all the ins and outs. We know exactly who our target audience is. You tell me mm -hmm. what your pain point is. And if we know if we solve that pain point or not, and you know your pain point, there's like less... Um, there's less noise and more signal, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a place for the kind of expansive vision of what the company plans to be and, and you know, the, the kind of space that they see themselves in and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, no, I, I completely agree. In the first call, you don't want to hear the, the pitch, like the capital P pitch. You just, is this going to be useful? Is it going to be more useful than what I'm already using or, or whatever? I wonder if, I wonder if, um, so are you familiar with Steve Blank and his um, customer development process? No. He, he's, he wrote a book called Four Steps to the Epiphany where he details this. And it's more aimed at um, product managers, I would, I would say. Um, but it gives you a kind of structured approach for how to figure out what you should build as a, as a technology company, which is as the name would imply, is, is, is very much focused around the customer, like discovering the customer, validating that they pay for something, validating what, what features they need. And there's a clear parallel here between what he's talking about in terms of a product development process and then a sales process of rather than saying, rather than kind of blur, blurting out all this stuff that the product can do, which may or may not be relevant, engaging with the person on the sales call and, you know, what is it that you need and, and how does that match up with what we do? And, you know, I, I, I'd never thought of it in that perspective before, but you could probably extend the kind of product development, customer de development process into, okay, now we're on sales calls and close that feedback loop, um, which I, you know, isn't, isn't as tight as it needs to be very often. I would say, you know, someone complains to customer service or a, a salesperson fails to make a sale, but we don't, I don't know if, I don't know if people are necessarily, I, I'll tell you that I don't think Teespring are good enough at kind of closing that feedback loop of exactly why did this buyer have an issue and like how let's kind of feed that really kind of directly into our, uh, our iteration process and, and why didn't we manage to close this person or why is this person having an issue with, uh, with the platform? But yeah, it's, it's not, they're not two discontinuous phases it should be kind of one continuous loop, right? Where we're kind of building something, selling something, they're using it. We're building something, we're selling something, yet yeah, they're using it, using it. I don't think, um, <laughs> I hope people aren't listening to this thing and thinking that's exactly what we do already. And these guys are, are idiots for not doing it. But uh, no. uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I have a question though about the, yeah. um, so I've seen, I've seen every 
possible <laughs> structure of team. But one of them that I saw that I thought was pretty interesting is where they, they'll have like a team, but they'll have like an account executive, a business development rep, customer service or account person, some sort of like engineer, right? And they'll all like sit physically near each other or would mm. be on a, on a team so that what you get is they, they'll also go back away and connect with their whole teams. Like, so all the engineers will go back and connect with all the engineers and come back. And it right. was just an interesting way to pass information because then the engineer yeah. sitting there while the salesperson's like complaining to the BDR that they didn't get the sale because we didn't have this feature. And so that information mm-hmm. just finds its way right. easier. I'm sure there's, there's plenty of successful ways to do it without that setup, but I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like we, it, it's those sorts of people who is that it's those profiles that need to be talking all the time, all the time. Uh, it's, it's something that we're, We've always had at Teespring this um, idea of splitting the teams into vertical stacks rather than horizontal slices. So we've never had a front-end team, a back-end team, database team. It's always been product-focused teams that we we call pods. You know, this is the this is the group of people that are responsible for 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 this type of user or for this this uh, this experience. And there's front engineers, back end engineers, a, pro- a dedicated product manager, and so on and so forth. What we're doing right now is actually moving much more towards what you describe, where let's broaden that out even more. It's not just engineers, engineering managers, and, and product managers that should be talking all the time. We're going to bring in a marketing person, a com- like a, a salesperson, someone from operations and supply chain, someone from data. It kind of depends on the on on what the team needs. But let's just get them together. They should be in the they should be in the retrospectives because it's the kind of overall functioning of that group of people that needs to be retro retros, retrospective. Did don't know what the past tense it. of that I'll is. I'll buy it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Stick stick with me. It gets better. And it's actually mentioned in. I can't take any credit for this at all. It's it's also in that sense and respond book of you know these these kind of cross functional independently operating teams that should have a clear intent goals as in like metrics KPIs and also constraints of it. You know you can't use the brand in this way. You can hire this many people. But yeah, in order for that group to be as successful as, as possible, they need to not, we, yeah, we're trying to find a way of reducing the kind of the silo, the siloing of knowledge or, or, or experience or function within a department and we sort of elevating to, to, to primacy this cross-functional team, uh, something that we're, we, we haven't kind of fully done yet, but um, I'm really excited about rolling out uh, really, really, really shortly, actually. I'm I'm actually pretty pumped up about that. That sounds I want why don't you come yeah. on like next year and we could talk about that. We'll see like okay. how how it's gone, what's up, what you, what we've learned. I would love that. It holds me to it as well. I know I've got 12 months to to not just roll it out but figure it out and make it successful or if not I'll have a good story about how it fell flat in its face. Yeah, either way it works. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I like that. Yeah. 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 So what's some what's some insight or I guess the, the question I want to ask is what is one of those truths that you've learned like over and over as a leader, something that like, it's a lesson it's come up multiple times throughout your career. Hmm. That's a good question. Come up multiple times is a, is a tricky one. I think, I think the, um, 
the one I would the one I would pick out is that I don't know if it's just <laughs> I don't know if it's just me or if it's engineers in in general, but um, we do tend to maybe sort of if not oversimplify things, we want to kind of jump in, roll our sleeves up, get building. This is a really tricky problem. We're gonna we're gonna crack it like a nut, and I think when we take that approach, it means that um, we don't go, go go through that sort of learning, exploration, validation, bringing people along, bringing people together within the team, doing that kind of customer development process thing that I that I mentioned. You know, like the reason that I I, I was first familiar with that book in. Um, must have been say, 10 years ago or something where we had we had as a, as a team kind of jumped into solving mode we, we sort of had a bit of a hint that there was a problem over here that, that could be helped with technology and we just kind of jumped in and started writing code uh, which kind of worked but but doesn't really scale and it definitely doesn't last you sort of have to be lucky so to, to kind of abstract that out a little bit i think it's um i think it's to I think it's that you need to be humble about what you know, what you don't know, and clearly identify where risks or assumptions are and not just kind of jump into something. I think I, I certainly personally get very excited about a new project or a new idea and kind of jump in into solving mode, writing code, pushing stuff up, trying things out. And at best, at best, you can kind of... <sighs> Uh, if you're lucky, you can kind of invalidate an idea quickly with with that approach. But I think it's just way cheaper in terms of time, in terms of money, in terms of emotion, by doing something much lighter weight with a sort of a prototype, a wireframe, a conversation, a survey, a look at competitors, whatever it might be. So I'm, I don't really have a kind of pithy one-liner for that, but I think it's... Oh, well, then we, we're going to have to cancel the interview. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, I thought I thought we were just about to get started. <laughs> yeah, we're, this is just the intro banter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do, you, do you see what I mean? I, I get I, exactly I kind of, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I, the reason, unfortunately, that it's <laughs> it's a kind of a truth of a truth I've learned again and again is because, you know, I, I'm an engineer. I love solving problems. I love diving in. I love solving hard problems. I I love challenging myself and like and like. You know, uh, we'll, we'll, I'm talking. I'll be, I'll be talking with my wife about this. It would be nice if this service existed, this this website existed, and rather than like validating it's a good idea or that anyone else would be interested, but from us two and the dog, I'll be like, well, the, the crucial thing here is it needs to be running on Kubernetes, which I've not used very much before. So <laughs> I'll set up a, just quickly set up this Kubernetes cluster, and then the deployments would be super straightforward. You know, two weeks later, I'm like a bit more comfortable with Kubernetes, but it doesn't really, I've not actually really solved the problem. I've solved the problem I wanted to solve rather than actually kind of saying, where's the biggest risk, the, big, the biggest uncertainty, what's the best use of my time to actually move this idea forwards rather than to kind of combine my career slash hobby, which is coding, you know? Well, let's, so let's say we've got like a, an engineer, right? Okay. And this engineer is is newer in their career and they've been building and building but professionally their experience is 99 percent just building here's some specs this is what we're going to build yeah. let's go let's get started right now here's step one here's step two let's build 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 
So imagine that's like a, your brain would be like the operating system and that builder is like the builder program and, and your operating system, right? But you're newer, right? You're less experienced. So that's like one of the only programs you have to even run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as your consciousness starts shooting instruction about like, hey, let's build this technology, the program that's going to pick it up is the builder program and it's going to start issuing yeah. the stage one commands. And so what you have to do is like build these other programs in, mm-hmm. in your mind and like set them up and do your automation with them and make sure you filter them around so that it's less about just running the building program and more about this like a larger problem you're trying to solve and value right. you're trying to bring. Yeah. Yeah. You, you are not joking about treating your brain like a, like a Turing machine. Hey, like kind of comes across very strongly. (laughs) I got, we can talk about my morning routine, which I call my boot sequence. (laughs) (laughs) I'm nerdy. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, But no, no, I think, I think you're right. It's, um, I, I don't know if you've you've heard this little, I don't know if it's a truism or, or just a saying, but they say they do that there are three types of engineers there's people that love solving hard problems there's people that love uh, designing beautiful things and there's people that love sort of solving a sort of high level problem they sort of they they take a maybe, maybe a slightly more producty approach and I, I don't i think it's kind of an oversimplification you can get get good at all three you can love doing all three and you can kind of grow those over time but uh but no i i, I agree like you if you're lucky, you start off being kind of half decent at one of them and you need to add those other tools into your, into your toolbox. I think um, where the, so kind of connect two thoughts here, one of the benefits that I'm hoping to see from that kind of cross-functional team approach where we, we bring people together and say, your, your mission is to make this thing successful rather than your mission is to ship this thing it gives especially junior engineers much more visibility into the totality of, of, of what makes software valuable. It, it, isn't, it isn't getting it shipped. It is people using it, finding it useful, continuing to use it, paying for it, and, and, and whatever else. And you know that, that feedback loop being more clearly presented to them and, and being something that the team values and the, the team should be talking about KPIs daily it really kind of accelerates that learning process, right? Where, yes, they'll be getting better at, at writing good code through mentoring, pairing, practice. But there's also that kind of daily reinforcement of it doesn't matter if people don't use it. It doesn't matter if people don't like it. So it, it kind of enforces that as they, as, they, as they work on stuff sprint by sprint as well. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that happens because that's like a huge win for the personal development, career development of, of, of people, especially more junior folks. I think it also is helpful for, for less ten- technical people, like the non-engineers who are a part of that cross-functional team. If they are presented front and center with how annoying it can be to you know, if you've, if you've kind of rushed out a prototype to see if something is even interesting and then we're like, it is, it is interesting. Let's, let's move forward. Let's do a V1. If they can see on a daily basis or a weekly basis, how frustrating it is to work on this kind of like slightly janky foundations that underpin the prototype, that's a kind of hugely useful thing for them to have in their tool chain as well. And they can have really good, rich conversations with, with engineers at Teespring and beyond, you know, it's, 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 it's something that is, is really transferable into other companies too. 
Yes. Look, so we definitely have to have you on next year. Are you down for that? Okay. Yeah, for sure. A okay. year from now, I wonder what we're going to be doing quarantine-wise. That'll be another interesting topic. <laughs> well, if you're in the States and you're not quarantined, you can come by here. We have, we have the studio now. You can see the Let's fake wall in person. <laughs> yeah, I can <laughs> lean on it and destroy it. I'm sure no. that's the kind of look I have. <laughs> we'll keep you far from the wall. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, this this would be great because I we literally got like through a third of the things. We didn't even get to like the Nick Bostrom stuff and and uh, oh, yeah. all that. But we we will save that for next time, and then I'll continue stalking your blog and <laughs> looking at your cool ideas. But I'm very grateful to have met you. I I really like you. I hope that you're a person in life that that I know in 20 years, right? Uh, wow, because thank you. you have That's really good ideas. Thing to say. Yeah, this has been a really fun conversation. We sort of covered a, a lot of ground, I think, and managed to, the thing that I really enjoyed is that we managed to connect a few of the dots as well, in, in, including in ways that weren't evident to me before until we started talking through them, which is always a good sign for uh, uh, having learned something. Yeah, it's what we do. We try to just explore ideas. So I don't care if like people don't have like a pithy one line thing. It's like, if you have an idea that's like, it's a good idea. And we, we can talk. That's how you get ideas better is by talking them out with, with other people. 100%. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for uh, having me on. It was, uh, it was a blast. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.